All right, I'm worn out. <laughs> but I pray that you'll go out there and sign that. It doesn't fix anything. It just says you're standing. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 26. Exodus chapter 26. I'm not going to, I normally read every verse of a chapter. Those who've been here a while, you know that. I'm not going to do that in this case. There's some rare, well, it would be not as rare if I was doing something, let's say Leviticus. <laughs> I wouldn't read every single word of everything. Uh, not that they're not important, but just for the sake of time. And the same is the case this morning. I'm not going to read every one of these 37 verses, because unlike last week, uh, there is more uh, just repetition of certain kind of themes within the tabernacle. But I do want to read uh, a few verses. Let's start with verse 1, then I'll tell you when to skip to another section. Uh, go back and read it all uh, on your own because it is actually important stuff and you see the very detailed uh, ornate instructions that God gives uh, to Moses. But starting with verse 1, moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue and purple and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain, four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain of the selvage of one set, and likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set." Fifty loops you shall make in the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, and the loops may be clasped to one another, and you shall make fifty clasps of gold, and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle. Keep, you might want to underline that verse. I have it underlined and highlighted by vote. So that it may be one tabernacle. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair, don't use that every day, do you? To be a tent over the tabernacle, you shall make 11 curtains. Let's skip down to verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. And you shall make 50 bronze clasps, put the clasps into loops, and couple the tent together, that it may be one. I highlight that one as well. Um, verse 14, you shall make a, verse 14, you shall make a covering of ram skin dyed red. For the tent, a covering of badger skin above it. Verse 15, in the tabernacle you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. Verse 24, skip down to 24. They shall be coupled together at the bottom, and they shall be coupled together at the top by the ring. Thus it shall be for both of them, they shall be for the two corners. Uh, skip down to verse 31. Actually, verse 30. Verse 30, start with verse 30. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which was shown on the mountain. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. Then you shall hang upon the four pillars the acacia wood, overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold, the four sockets of silver. Then you shall hang the veil from the clasp. You shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. Verse 34, you shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony of the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across, that's the menorah, across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. You shall put a table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood, overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. That's a lot, huh? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make these things clear to us, what it is that the Spirit would be speaking to us. Uh, Lord, we don't have a physical tabernacle anymore in our midst, but Lord, what are you saying to us, the church, and especially, Lord, here in these latter days, what is it that you want us to know and understand that we would apply it, not just know it, Lord, but we would apply it in our lives, transform us this morning by the work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Fastened Together. Fastened Together. And uh, if you're uh, taking notes as well, just three sections that we'll look at in the, the time we have. His life, His design, His glory. His life, His design, His glory. How many of you ever read about the tabernacle before you've ever read that chapter? Um, you know, when you, when you read a lot of these chapters in the Old Testament, they can seem like minutiae. A lot of detail. What is all this all about? And, you know, and Abraham, I mean, Moses was given these very specific instructions there on the mountain. And I just continue, no matter how many times I read them, it just blows me away that God cares about the tiniest of details. You see this in the design of your own eyeball, right? You've seen the, you've seen the specials about these things that just the eyeball alone refutes the even remote possibility of something as goofy as evolution. And beyond being goofy, it's a deceptive lie that's bringing people to hell. So, but God's intricate design is found everywhere. It's found at the molecular structure. It's found at the atomic level. It's found in the human body. It's found in the celestial heavens of the universe. Everywhere you look, God's intricate design, the things that you and I would never think of God thinks of them all. And I would bet, and I, had, I didn't have the time to do all the study, but I would bet anything. Matter of fact, I know I've actually heard this already before, so I didn't have the time to study it beyond. But amazingly, this tabernacle, though quite flexible, is incredibly strong as well. Uh, and I didn't have the time to really sit, but God knows a little bit about engineering, doesn't he? Right? If he puts something together... It will survive in a, in a summer desert windstorm like nobody's business because he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? And there's going to be rains come, and there's going to be things come, but that tabernacle, amazingly strong yet flexible and fastened together, each hook, each clasp, the way the curtains had to hang, the size of them. And I would love to actually spend time, you know, have someone really with a structural engineer break it down even more and say, you know, it actually is even kind of more amazing than we thought. And I guarantee that's the case. I've actually heard, again, that uh, that it is quite strong and it is quite resistant to the elements and uh, even things like the goat hair, the rain just runs. You ever seen a goat? Rain just runs right off them, right? But of course, they dyed it in colors. It didn't look like the same goat that started out with. But, uh, and nothing's as tough as a goat either, by the way. Matter of fact, that we were doing the, uh, we were doing, it's funny, speaking of goat, uh, went to the uh, wedding yesterday, and on Friday night I had, went out there for the rehearsal, and uh, I don't know if anyone else had this, that, uh, but uh, as the sun was going down, I had a, I don't know if it was a wild goat or one that got free, flew right in front of my car. Um, <laughs> did y'all see? Yeah, it, it was like the size of a cow, too. I'm like, I've never seen a goat this big. Uh, but it just kind of was doing its own thing and running around, and so... Kind of like the children of Israel, just running around, you know, had <laughs> to be out there. But this tabernacle, this tabernacle that the Lord has given these specific designs, this would be the tabernacle that God would ordain. You know, Solomon wouldn't build the physical, gorgeous temple that he would build for 480 years later. 400, I mean, America's not been around anywhere near that long. That temple would come another 480 years after the tabernacle. The tabernacle was, uh, was a place that God, I mean, it was really going to be. It had have an incredible longevity to it. They would continue to have this place that they would come and meet, and the presence of the Lord would be there. But let's start off with uh, his life here. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 1. In the very first verse, we get quite a clue as to whose portrait is hidden, though not so hidden, within the tabernacle. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen. Now someday we will actually be in heaven robed with white linen. I don't know, I'm not telling you that this particular aspect, uh, I'll find out when I get to heaven, but I notice that it's ten white curtains. I think of the Ten Commandments. Ten white curtains all arranged 
Why 10? And I look at the structure. You know, you ever seen the tablets? They kind of have that same structure, that, that, uh, uh, that kind of rectangular structure. There's the curtains. Ten white curtains. I think of the ten equally important aspects of the law. But what I'm not in the least bit confused about is the next part. That it's woven with what? Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Who could that be? Three things we see there. First, this blue. We, when we get to, we get over to chapter 28, you'll see that the, uh, the priestly garment uh, for the, the robe of the ephah, get, guess what color it will be? Blue. The, the, the priest, the high priest, gar, the uh, garment for the ephod will be a blue garment. So the first thing we see is the thread of blue represents our coming priest, their coming priest, our now come priest, who is now our high priest, interceding for us where? At the right hand of the Father, the priest. This blue thread, and it would be woven throughout, all throughout the tabernacle, this blue thread representative of the priestly role of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.15, 4, 4, how do we know this is Christ? Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we, yet without sin. Jesus is the high priest. He's the blue garment. He's the blue thread. And he's not just in the tabernacle, he's all through the tabernacle. We see the uh, purple thread. What would this represent? Royalty. If somebody, I think someone just said royalty. Royalty or a king. Is it one of his names? King of kings, right? King of kings, Lord of lords. We know that purple has long been in antiquity a picture of royalty. Kings all the way through back in antiquity Purple was the color of choice for royalty. The same was true with Solomon, who would build the temple that would replace the tabernacle. And what do we find in Song of Solomon chapter 3, verses 9 through 11? Listen to this. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself an alanquin, which is a chair. He made its pillars of silver, its support of gold, See a lot of that in the tabernacle too, by the way. Its seat was of purple. Verse 11, Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown, the purple chair, and the golden crown. Royalty. The coming king. Solomon, oh, you know, became a great, great king. David was a great king. They became great kings. But they're not kings like the coming king. Amen? They fall woefully short. He, his kingdom will never end. Their kingdoms did end. Of course, uh, David's actually going to play a role, and that's another story, uh, in, the final, uh, in the final throne that God will put there in Jerusalem. But this king, this royalty, and it's not just, uh, it's not just Solomon that we see this purple and royalty. You know, in Esther chapter 8, verse 15, when Mordecai was finally uh, recognized, for the good that he had done the king, do you know he was given a robe of purple? Haman really hated that day, by the way. And Proverbs chapter 31, verse 22, you know Proverbs 31 is about the virtuous wife or the virtuous woman. But uh, Proverbs 31 is not just about the virtuous wife, it's also about the virtuous church. It's a picture of the church. I've done a study that on that uh, topic here before. Some of you may remember that. But uh, the virtuous, she actually has tapestry of purple. Why? Because later the New Testament says we've been made both kings and priests. We're actually folded into the tabernacle of Christ and we actually take on his robes. And then, of course, it was in mockery but nonetheless, it was still correct when Jesus, they put a robe of purple on him 
didn't they? After they had beaten him, they threw the robe of purple on him. Yes, it was in mockery, but in fact, they were fulfilling the fact that he really was the king of the Jews and the king of us all. Amen? Yeah, it was in mockery. But someday, he'll come back and he'll wear his own royalty and nobody will be putting it on him. Amen? He will come back and assert his royalty and assert his throne. And then the last aspect we see here in this first verse, the scarlet thread. You, you have to notice that. The scarlet thread. We, we would see a scarlet thread uh, when they would come to Jericho. What, had, what did Rahab have to put out? Scarlet thread. And that would be the only thing that would save her and her household would be the scarlet thread. It goes back to the Passover. They had to put the scarlet blood on the doorpost. There was no escape without the scarlet thread. And forevermore, the tabernacle of God will always have the scarlet thread woven through it. Impossible to be the meeting place of God without the blood present. Our sacrifice, this third piece, the scarlet thread, our sacrifice or our atonement is found all throughout the tabernacle. If you want to meet with God, if you want to come into the presence of God, yes, he is the king and the priest, but there's no way to ascend to the hill of the Lord to come into the throne room of God to the king of kings. And you're in my imperfect condition. We've got a problem, don't we? It was the same, just like it was, uh, it was not a good thing when Esther went in unannounced to the king, Right? You can't go unannounced into the throne of God because no man can look upon him and live. And you also can't go to the Holy of Holies unless you're the high priest on the Day of Atonement and you can't have any sin, unconfessed sin that day. But they're both pictures of an impossible entry unless, of course, even the high priest had to bring the blood for himself and for the people. The scarlet thread. We have no king or priest. You and I have no king or priest for all eternity unless we have the scarlet thread of the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? We, we have, he is king of kings. He is the high priest, whether anyone recognizes it or not. As we are here Wednesday night, as Romans chapter 3 says, let God be true and every man a liar. By the way, once you hear that verse, you'll never be offended at anything again. Think about it. Anything that we point out that's, that's, that's true, factual, about mankind around us, recognize that all of us are liars according to God. Thereby needing the precious blood, the atoning blood of Jesus, to actually enter in to even bow before the king in worship. We were just worshiping. How many of you were enjoying the worship? In your heart and in your mind, with your eyes closed, many of you actually probably visualize going before the throne of God. Though you've never seen it yet, you have some picture in your mind of actually in your heart bowing before the Lord. Now, that's not just something that he's worthy of. It's a privilege. Now, a lot of people don't consider that a privilege. They would consider it much more a privilege to meet a celebrity and have dinner with them and have their autograph, Right? But it's a privilege. It's not just that God demands our worship. It's our privilege to worship. And you can't enter in without the scarlet thread, the atoning. What does the Scriptures tell us about this in the, in the, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 7, verse 27? Hebrews 7, 27 says, He offered up Himself. This is not what kings and priests do. Amen. Have you seen a world leader say, hey, I'll take Pastor Saeed's place. Let him go free and put me in the prison. Anyone, any takers, world leaders? Any big shots? Almost all the world leaders that are on the current stage right now, you look at Vladimir Putin, the president, right? Leaders of Europe. Leaders of North Korea, China, they have egos the size of Texas. All of them. Massive egos. 
It's an evident in their haughty look. It's an evident in their speech. It's an evident of what they do to other people. It's an evident of their thumbing their nose at the world and each other. I mean, but not Jesus. This king who actually created those kings, literally, he created them. He breathes life into all the world leaders. He actually says, I'll come down and offer myself as a sacrifice for sin. But make sure you weave this into the tabernacle, God says. You'll understand more. Remember that not, most of the Bible hasn't been written, right? Matter of fact, well, some of it has been written. I believe that much of Genesis was actually written and passed on all the way through. And then, uh, of course, Moses would rewrite it, but then the Lord would give him more information. And then he would re- go on to read. But most of the scriptures... Perhaps none. We don't know for sure, but perhaps none of the scriptures have been written. But God's already telling him, and you know, Moses might be blue thread, purple thread, scarlet thread. What's all this about? You'll understand later. I'll write the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 9:26, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There it is again, just like the seventh chapter. His life. What the Lord wants to do as he fastens the tabernacle together. As the Lord takes the tabernacle, gives Moses the blueprint for it, and fasten it together, do it exactly like I say. And there's a problem if he doesn't follow it exactly the way the Lord says. But it says, do it exactly as I say. And the first aspect you're going to see, and all future people that would believe upon me and my son will see the life of Christ is in the DNA of the tabernacle all throughout. Folks, God's called us as Calvary Chapel of Richmond to be a tabernacle. Do you know that? And guess who needs to be woven throughout every aspect of our life and this ministry and this church and this outreach and even the website that we just built? It must be the King of Kings, the High Priest of our confession, and our sacrifice and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That if that's not visible, I've gone to churches, I've seen other churches' websites, see ministries where the Lord Jesus is not even mentioned. If he's not woven into everything, then that church is not anything. Make sense? What happens if Moses says, I'm going to do everything you said, but I'm not going to do blue, purple, or scarlet thread. I've got a better idea. Green means life. This is what people are doing today. They'll come up with a better... Green means life. So let's actually do something that means life instead of all this uh, death and sacrifice and atonement for sins. That just is confusing people. Let's do something green like life. And let's just talk about that. That would be great if we aren't going to die someday. Right? Right? That would be great if there's not situations like Pastor Saeed, but the fact of the matter is you can't replace what God's put in here, can you? Let's look at the second aspect of this morning that we'll take a look at, his design. See, the tabernacle, just like the church, just like the nation of Israel, just like the priesthood, right? just like the ephod, when we get to the ephod, it's gorgeous. Everything that God does, it's His design. I don't know if you realize it. I'm sure that you do. But God never consults us about His design. Never once did He tell us or ask us, do you think I should put the equator here? Do you think I should tilt the earth at an axis? What about the clouds? Do you think I should actually, make, no matter how heavy they are, that they'll actually stay up there? No. He doesn't ask us. He does everything. All of his design is done by the power of his spirit and his own wisdom. Proverbs talks about this. The wisdom was laid before the foundations of the earth. And so the Lord says, hey, when I build a tabernacle, it's going to be my design. It's going to be a lot of things 
that you may not see. When I looked in here, um, amazingly, I wrote them down. And for so, I, a lot of times I'll take, I'll take my notes sometimes handwritten, and then I'll do more of my study on, on, on my laptop, and I'll do more. But I wrote about, I'll try and remember some. Amazingly, I wrote them down, and I didn't, never put them in my notes. But if you look at this text, and you look at the design of the Lord, you'll see a lot of things. I'll just rattle off a few of them that I see. You'll see beauty. You'll see that it's ordinary. You'll see that it's flexible. You'll see that it's mobile. You'll see that it is um, intricate, right? You'll see that it is detailed. You'll see that it has holiness. You'll see that it has purity. Long list. Can you think of descriptions God would want for the church? They're all those things, aren't they? Notice that God uses ordinary things in his design like goat skin. But there's also some rather extraordinary things like pure gold. You notice that? There's pure gold, which is a symbol of purity. And guess what? I don't recall ever reading the Bible anything about a description of heaven with goat skin. But there is gold all throughout heaven. A church should be a reflection of our future home. Amen? But it should be practical enough for our current home. It should be mobile because God may not have you doing the exact same thing next year as you're doing today. He may move you. Not necessarily geographically. He may move you in your job. He may move you in some other way. He may move you residentially. Whatever it may be, God may say, all right, collapse that and move it to here. Why? Looks the same. Because I said so. So you've got to be able to God move you and channel you to a different place or a different aspect of your life. And yet at the same time, you see the gold and the silver that we would be tried and purified like gold and silver. Amen? And that there'd be a purity there. All of these things. That the church would be strong. Because why, why would the church be strong? Why was the tabernacle strong? Not just because of what it was made of, but who designed it. This church will be strong not because of you or me, Certainly not because of me, and certainly not because of you. But who designed us is why it would be strong. The scarlet thread will make it strong, right? The high priest will make it strong. Our king will make it strong. These things, the design is from the Lord, and he would fit it together perfectly. Every clasp in its place. Now, oftentimes in the church, we don't have every clasp in its place. Somebody's doing things their own way, which is never going to be helpful. If that happens, then one piece of the tabernacle is falling down, and Moses says, hey, time out, time out. Why is that hanging? Um, we, did, we only put two clasps there instead of five. No, 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 you can't do that. You, there, there, you do it exactly, let's do it exactly the way. And, and as leadership in this church, we're always going to follow, not that it produces the numerical numbers that everybody else wants, or this, that, and the other, we're always going to follow the design. Right here. The blueprint's perfect, because the perfection won't be realized until we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. Much of what looks like it's working in, in the world, according to man, doesn't seem to work when it's in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But his design is so important we see these attributes of what God would want in our church. He wants it to be beautiful. He wants it to be ordinary. Right? We're ordinary people. Paul talked about this. He goes, not many of you are all that much in this world. Right? That's what Paul wrote. Gee, thanks, Paul. Right? Paul said, I just call it like I see it. Most of you are pretty average. And really... It's a nice way of saying all of you are average, right? 
But God, that's what God does. He takes a bunch of meaningless, goat-haired blankets, colors them a new color, shapes them a new shape, then says, and then I'll fasten you together with things like gold and silver and bronze. And when it's done, ah, man, it would be beautiful to see the tabernacle, wouldn't it? Takes things ordinary like acacia wood. Doesn't leave it, overlays it with what? Pure gold. You and I are like wood or acacia wood. If we're left out in the elements, we eventually will rot and fade away, but God overlays us with his gold. This is what the Lord does. It's his design of the tabernacle. And you notice some other things here too. That all of these individual components would act as what? One. Coupled together, coupled together, coupled together, coupled together, another way of saying fastened together, but they would all come together as one. What about us? What about us? Not just us in Calvary Chapel Richmond, but us in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is messed up right now with schisms all over. Christians that won't forgive other Christians. Christians that are mad at other Christians. Ministries going away from Jesus Christ and following the methods of man. Church splits over things like that. All all of these things are greatly dishonoring and do not look like this tabernacle, do they? I don't know about you, but don't you want to look like this tabernacle? Not some other tabernacle that man has designed, but I want us, I want me. I want this tabernacle, this 44-year-old tabernacle, just like you're an individual tabernacle, we're a collective tabernacle. Does that make sense? We're not just an, indiv- we're an individual. Your body is the temple of God, but actually it's speaking of the body of Christ is the temple of God. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22, you've probably heard these passages. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. This is when we were estranged from Christ. We were outside of the commonwealth of grace. We were in sin. You're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I'm a fellow citizen with saints I've never met in China. How about you? Never met them. And I love them like I know them. Brother Gal ever makes this in the United States, I'll do what I try, possibly can to try and get him to come speak in this church. And I actually think he would. I actually think he'll be more comfortable speaking at small churches than mega churches. Because those are the folks, that's the house churches he was used to in China. But nevertheless, nothing, nothing against large churches. I, came, I got saved in Calvary for a lot of 25,000 people. God's using churches of all sides. That's not the point. But the point here is that God knits us all together. It goes on. Fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, verse 20, Ephesians chapter 2, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This goes all the way back to Moses. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Here's the thread again. The chief cornerstone. The blue purple, the scarlet, in whom the whole building, here it is, fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Do you see the, temp- do you see the tabernacle in the New Testament? It's us. Jesus is the chief cornerstone laid at the cross. Amen? The scarlet. Raised and resurrected as the high priest and the king of kings and lord of lords. And upon his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? That's the tabernacle. That's us. That's what he would desire. That's what he commands us to be. That's what he bids us to be. That's what he welcomes us to be. The tabernacle of the Lord. Fitted together. You know what I like about inanimate objects like the tabernacle? Gold couplets or clasps don't consider themselves better than silver ones. And silver ones don't consider themselves better than bronze ones. And fine linen doesn't consider itself better than a goat skin. But that's not the same with people, is it? 
This, was Paul, this had to be addressed in the New Testament. They would actually show preferential treatment to people of wealthier or better stature. Is that you? Is that me? Do we really look at people, and some people are really, they got it all together, we think they're great. Other people, I don't have the time for them. That isn't Jesus, is it? All the elements of the tabernacle come together, whether they be precious metals or whether they be goatskin or whether they be linen that can easily get burned. You can light a match to a gold class, it's going to do just fine. Light a match to linen doesn't really go well, does it? The fragile pieces and the not-so-fragile pieces. Paul talked about bearing with the weak. Do you bear with weak people? Yeah. There might be weak people in your own family. You might be the weak person. A lot of times, weak people won't even bear with other weak people. Because they actually do want people. We want to be fitted together like the Lord fit the tabernacle. And every element does its part, but with no preference. None none says, I'm, I'm greater. I'm the hand. I'm much better than the foot. We don't see that. Let's last close with his glory. His glory. Three things I want to look at as we come to a close with his glory. The first is the unity, and we've been talking about it actually just now. We'll continue on this thought. The unity, all of these pieces coming together. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4. I just read you Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore... The prisoner of the Lord. Paul was, even when he was imprisoned or was a prisoner, was never not discipling. How about you? Even when things are tough in your life, are you still the person that ministers to other people? Yeah, you might be in a lot of pain physically today. Might have been a really bad week. Maybe you lost your job. But do you still minister to other people with the joy of the Lord? No matter how hot the desert is, No matter how cold the desert is, the tabernacle doesn't change. True? Couldn't budget. Not because of itself, but because of the designer. We have to be this way. Therefore, the Apostle Paul, prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you are called. Listen to to how we're told to walk. As a tabernacle, we're not called to be sheets, and clasped inanimate objects, we actually take the imagery of something fitted together so beautifully at the tabernacle, and now we actually have to walk in it, which is a lot harder. We've been given who? The Holy Spirit. And we've been given the design book. So here's what we're told to do. With all lowliness and gentleness, is that the mark of your life? Is the mark of your life lowliness and gentleness? When people think about you, do they think of you as humble and gentle? Do they? Or say, no, I would think of you as that, but never that. But it's not too late for us to become that. Amen? Now is the time. It's high time to wake out of our sleep, the Scripture said. And it doesn't, if you were never this before, God still wants us to be conformed to His image today. It's called grace. With lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Do you know you have to consciously endeavor to keep peace? Why? Because A... You and me have enough badness in our own flesh that without even knowing it, we rub people the wrong way all the time. And usually they don't tell us. I'm guilty of it. You're probably saying, yeah, you're really guilty of it. <laughs> it's okay. I, I, I look at myself in the mirror of God's Word and real mirrors and say, Lord, show it to me. But we, we you and I, we... We have to endeavor to keep peace. You actually have to strive to keep peace. Peace is not maintained by no effort. Of course, our effort is on our knees in prayer, in God's Word, and He shaves off the junk in our life. And and, and then we actually realize that 
um, the more you grow in Christ, you'll actually realize that you will take responsibility for things that in the past you might not have. I'll give you an example. You might be just talking to somebody and totally innocently say something that later you're driving your car and you're like, I bet, whoa, the phrase of speech I used there, I bet you they may have taken that the wrong way. If there's even a remote possibility and you're a mature saint that loves the body of Christ, you'll contact that person. Hey, just want to make clear, you may not have taken it, but I just was driving and it got to thinking what I said may have, may have really seemed like I offended, and I just want to make sure. Now, nine out of ten times when I'm dealing with other people that love the Lord, they usually tell me this. Oh, I didn't take it that way at all. And that's always a blessing. And there's a long pause... I know I have someone who's easily stepped on, easily fragile, easily their feelings hurt, but that's okay. Even if they are, I'm still told to bear with the weak and love them nevertheless and endeavor to keep peace. And actually, this is a really cool thing. Do you realize that when you do things like that, you actually build stronger relationships than ever would have been there in the first place? People actually, the opinion of you goes up. They actually say, wow, if they would actually take the time to call me and care that much, and they're accountable. And they actually know that you know you're not perfect. Which is always a good thing. But we're, ende- we're to endeavor to keep the peace. There is one body, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's that thread again. He's above all, in all, through all, woven it all. And Jesus said, look, it, it, it's displeasing to me if you're not endeavoring, not just to keep peace. We're not just trying to you know, show up and none of us dislike each other. We're supposed to be knitted together into a tabernacle. Lo- to love, bearing one another with love. And we see here in verse um, 33, we see the holy place, the most holy. And in the 34th verse, you shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy. Let's look at this, this, this uh, second piece of this glory. Uh, this mercy, we can actually just pull them together anyway. Mercy and holiness, they go hand in hand here. Why? Because it's the holy of holies and what's in the holy of holies? The mercy seat. Inside the mercy seat is truth. The testimony will be there. Of course, they haven't built this yet. This is, this is the design. This is what's going to be there. But the Ten Commandments or the testimony will be inside. Truth, God never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter how much you and I might disagree, He will never, ever, ever, ever change His law. Never. Ever. But He'll meet you there with mercy. He will not change at all. He will never deviate, but he will come to you with mercy. And why is that important? Well, first of all, for our salvation, we have no salvation if he doesn't give us mercy. The shedding of his blood that will be there on the mercy seat. But in that place, it's done because why? It's done because God is holy. And if he's going to adopt us into the family of God, we cannot come in with sin on our garments. He's holy. What do the angels say? Holy, holy, holy. Never stop. Although one brief time in the book of Revelation, they will. Other than that, never stop. Holy, holy, holy. Because God's holiness will never be compromised at all. What he does is he exchanges the holiness of his son for our rags of filth, tones the blood, places white garments, and then we're able to enter in to the Holy of Holies, but we're entering in, but by mercy, because there's the mercy seat. Does that all make sense? Holiness, truth, and mercy, they're, all, they're like three points on a triangle. You can't separate them. They're always together. You realize that, right? God is always true. He is always holy, and yet he's always merciful. Never separated. And so we enter into this place, and listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. I think the ladies, you're in a Colossians study right now. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you know, you know what's therefore, what's, what is therefore, right? 
Therefore, because as the elect of God, listen to this, holy and beloved. Beloved is a form of we've been given mercy. Holy is a reflection of what God has now called us to be, which is just like himself. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Why? Because God puts on tender mercies. Our tabernacle looks like the one in heaven, right? Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. I thought Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. Why is he now writing it to the Colossians? Why write the same thing to two different churches? Because all churches are full of flesh. From the pastor to the anyone else. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If you have a spouse, you will forgive your spouse more than any person you'll ever meet in your lifetime. Why is that true? Because you see them more than anyone else. Hopefully. <laughs> and therefore, if you see them more than anyone else, you will invariably... I've been accused of being a bull in a china shop at times. In all kinds of aspects, including our home. Not meaning to be that. I will just not notice that I'm looking this way and I will avoid everything else around me. One directional. And therefore, I can step on toes in my own house. Not trying to. But I'll realize that Lord will... You know, and then you're asking for forgiveness. Aren't you glad people forgive you? Just think about where you would be in your life. Not only take away, the Lord's forgiveness is paramount, but just if other people never forgave you. Think about it. If no one ever forgave you, if your boss said, no, no more, that mistake, you're fired. Sorry. Our standard's perfection. Which God's standard is perfection, and yet instead of firing us or throwing us into the fire, he puts Jesus in place. And we're told to put on these tender mercies, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. You don't even have a choice in the matter. You actually say, Lord, I don't want to forgive them. God says, I don't care. But I don't want to. You don't know what they did to me. Jesus said, did they crucify you? And even if they did, you still are supposed to forgive. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, the problem is we think people know what they did. And the fact is, they usually do. Not always. Sometimes they don't know what they did, but usually they do know what they did, and they did it because they think you deserved it. And they're not going to say sorry because you had it coming. Someone had to put you in your place. And yet, we're told to still forgive. And when we do, we'll be so different from the world. The tabernacle doesn't look like any of the temples of the ancient world, does it? Matter of fact, other... other Societies would have looked at it like, what a joke of, that's your idea of a temple? Yeah, Christians, we, we looked at it as the world, as the off-scaring of the world, the scriptures tell us. But not to the Lord. The tabernacle is beautiful to God. It doesn't really matter if it was beautiful to anyone else, does it? This tabernacle, us individually and collectively, God wants it to be beautiful to him. It doesn't really matter what other people think. But we must endeavor to be forgiving, to be loving. You also, in the final verse here in, the, in Colossians chapter 3, is this, um, but also, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. I put in parentheses, bond means fastened. What's the bond of us together? It's love. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, if we have not love, everything else profits us nothing. If this church were to explode with growth, it would mean absolutely nothing, truly nothing but wood, hay, and stubble if we didn't have love. Genuine agape love for one another. We're not there yet, but God wants to fashion us into that. Amen? And then we close with his holiness. Listen to this quote from Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray says, Nowhere can we get to know the holiness of God and come under his influence and power except in the inner chamber. It has been said, well, no man can expect to make progress in holiness who is not often and long 
alone with God. See, the picture in the tabernacle, remember I mentioned who goes into the Holy of Holies? How many people? One high priest. He goes in there for atonement, but he's alone with the Lord. When Jesus ripped the veil of the temple, now we all go by ourselves. We don't take our kids with us. We don't take our wife in there. We go by ourselves, alone with the Lord, into the Holy of Holies. But when we come out, we're so much more like the Lord that we are used to strengthen the tabernacle. You don't think the high priest, after spending time with God, was better able to minister to the other priest and to the people? Of course. He would come out with more love, more mercy, more peace, more understanding. The reason why many people can't minister at all to each other, they have nothing to give. Why? Because they've received nothing. Where do you receive it? In the holy presence of God. Amen? That's where it comes. You know, that's where you'll be reminded of your flaws by God. And yet he'll fix them. Praise the Lord. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for your word. We know it is eternally true. And we know it's life-changing power, Lord. We ask that in this church, Lord, that you would be the thread that binds everything together. Our high priest, our king of kings, and Lord, most importantly, our sacrifice for sin. And we know that you are. But Lord, we ask that you would make these things more crystal clear in our hearts and our minds. That, Lord, we would spend more time in your presence individually, Lord, in prayer. And allow your word to change us. To convict us. Lord, if we, if we have things wrong with other people in our life, maybe a, other, another family member, things aren't right. Maybe a person in the body of Christ. Not just here, but maybe someone we knew years ago and we've never made those things right. Lord, you said in your word to leave our sacrifice at the altar and go and make these things right. For Lord, you want us fitted together. Lord, if, our, if we're prideful and, and, and don't make time for people that aren't like us or don't like the same things, Lord, forgive us of that. That, uh, Lord, we would be just like the, the gold, the silver, the bronze, all in unity, working together. And, Lord, you, you purify us. If there's sin, Lord, the, the picture of gold, Lord, if there's sin in our life, that, Lord, we'll confess it, get rid of it, and ask for a refreshing of your Holy Spirit in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We ask that you'd fasten this church together. As Psalm 27, 6 says, And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore I offer sacrifice of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. The God wants the tabernacle.